0: Hello and welcome to the Flucoma podcast. Uh, Today I'm talking to Dr. Anna Xambo, who is currently a Senior Lecturer in Music and Audio Technology at the Leicester Media School at De Montfort University. Um, She's also a member of the Music Technology and Innovation Institute of Sonic Creativity and has also been the Principal Investigator on the MIRLC Auto, a Virtual Agent for Music Information Retrieval in Live Coding project. Uh, Since obtaining her PhD, entitled Tabletop Tangible Interfaces for Music Performance Design and Evaluation in 2015, she has worked all over the world, uh, from the Centre for Digital Music at Queen Mary University of London, uh, on the European Commission-funded audiocommons.org project, and the Norwegian University of Science and Technology, where she co-founded the Women Nordic Music Technology Organisation, to name but a few places. So, Anna is also an experimental electronic uh, music musician. Her creative work comes in many forms, from using software like SuperCollider and Live, uh, applications for mobile devices, and DIY musical instruments. She usually performs under the alias Peter Mann, and she has collaborated with many artists and groups, uh, such as the Dirty Electronics Ensemble, Anna Weisling, and the Flukein Project's own Gerard Roman. And she also founded and runs a music label with Gerard uh, for experimental electronic music called Carpal Tunnel. So Anna has contributed much to the fields of human computer interaction and sound and music computing. Uh, she recently co-wrote uh, the article, a general framework for visualization of sound collections in musical interfaces uh, with Gerard and other Flucoma team members, uh, pierre uh, rux Tromblay Tremblay and Owen Green. Uh, Anna has much experience working uh, with the types of tools found in the Flucoma Toolkit and the workflows that can be derived from them. So today, uh, we'll be learning more about her creative practice and how techniques of uh, music information retrieval, machine learning and listening and bespoke uh, data-driven interfaces are incorporated into her practice. So Anna, hello and thank you for speaking with me today.
1: Hello, Jacob. Many thanks for this nice introduction.
0: You're quite welcome. Um, So perhaps you could start by explaining how you got into the world of music technology.
1: Yeah, thanks for for the question. So I guess it's worth mentioning. So a little bit uh briefly the journey starting from maybe the 80s more traditional education and then moving to the 90s the more the exploration of um kind of the uh, diy music with post-punk bands and post-rock bands um me as a composer um uh bass guitar player and and singer sometimes uh so that was already quite this i would say diy attitude pre uh, computer, if you like, um, to then move to kind of the 2000s, um, where there um, are Roma, actually, so he gave me lessons in electronic music, I was more with computers more into the, the use of computers more into the audiovisuals, if you like. Uh, so then Gerard taught me electronic music. So then I started working with those such as um, Ableton Live or Cubase, and then RAM machines, Pure Data as well. Um, and then something that was quite relevant was going in 2006 to University of Birmingham, where Gerard was presenting the Super Collider AU Um, at the first symposium of super collider and getting exposed to this community was just a blast for me just getting to know, you know, that you could make all these amazing things. Um, So then in terms of milestones, this was one big milestone, uh, getting to know electronic music and getting exposed to the super collider community. A second milestone was Then going back to school um, and studying at UPF University Pompeu Fabra in Barcelona, a master's in science that took two years, but then getting to know um, interaction is like advanced um, interactive music systems, how to design them, uh, getting exposed to MIR concepts, um, and also um, information retrieval and linear algebra. So we were exposed to all these amazing, Um, topics and getting to kind of uh, know how to build your own prototypes, Um, uh, getting the the knowledge to do that. And then in 2007, we went also with Gerard to the second Super Collider Symposium. We were presenting them their one prototype uh, built at UPF. And that was a sound editor with a tangible interface. And then the third milestone for me, was to start a PhD in music computing at the Open University, um, at, well, with three supervisors, Robin Lenny, Chris Dobin, and Sergi Giorda. And there, I discovered that uh, research career in sound and music computing uh, it was possible. And then, yeah, that this kind of was kind of the the journey. And just to say, throughout this journey, I've been yeah practicing from these prototypes and exploring experimental music in the kind of the computer music um, scene, if you like, or area.
0: Yeah. So it seems that yeah. So for, you've been collaborating with Gerard for quite a while in a research yes. sense and in a creative sense.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Well, actually, we were in this uh, in one of the post, well, post-rock bands, we were already uh, playing together. So, yeah, this journey has been quite together with Gerard. Yeah. Great
0: um so i think uh, an interesting project to hear about um to get a good idea about uh, some of your work is uh, something that you've been working on recently which i believe is just coming to a close now which is the mir so music information retrieval lc live coding auto um a virtual agent for music information retrieval in live coding uh, which is funded by which was funded by the epsrc hdi network plus grant um so there are many intersections between the, this project and, and concerns uh, of the Flucoma project. Um, perhaps you could talk us through uh, what's happening on that project and explain, for example, what a live coder virtual companion is.
1: Yeah. Thanks. Um, yeah. I guess. Well, first, the, yeah, there are many intersections uh, with Flucoma and the Milka, Milka Auto project. but in short, Milka, which is the kind of the class or the uh, contribution in terms of the of the live coding environment that you can use that implements uh, the concepts that I will present now. But basically, there is this theme about um, kind of uh, retrieving big collections of sounds uh, as a creative process. And that's something that also Flucoma is interested in. But maybe the key key difference is that uh, for the Milka project, the idea is to uh, retrieve sounds from crowdsource collections so sounds from other people who have upload uploaded the sounds on the internet and in particular um free sound is the would be the example uh, while flukoma perhaps looks more into the personal collections in a way but still is this uh, this space of looking at big collections of data um, and then using techniques such as machine learning and music information retrieval to kind of navigate throughout these big collections. Um, and then kind of um, from that, yeah, retrieve or browse sounds and then cr- compose or creatively compose or perform with them. Um, and and so the also another commonality I would say with, with Flucoma is this idea of um, kind of uh, working with a community so that when building the tool, um you get you get others also to try the tool and 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 use it and and then have a discussion about how to evolve it um, and then also yeah just to say that milka is using for the kind of like this engine like the machine learning engine is using uh, flucoma uh, a component of flucoma uh, but then the idea of this project is that when you navigate with this big uh, data collections, and especially if they come from crowdsource um, uh, sources, if you like, or so you can get very interesting sounds, but also sometimes sounds you really don't want. So there is this surprise, surprise, <laughs> that sometimes is kind of uh, positive surprise and sometimes is negative surprise. So the research question of this project was to kind of uh, yeah, build an environment I've already had been working with MILK, which is, also, um, uh, in, um, is kind of um, an extension for super collider that is um, designed for life coding and retrieving sounds from freesound based on the uh, freesound quark, which has been also developed by Gerard um, when he was at U- Universitat Pompeu Fabra, And basically with this MILK, you had this problem. So for the MILK, Milka, the idea here was to filter, in a way, as a first step, those sounds that uh, you just say you you don't want them to appear, so kind of train. So there is a little bit of a musical taste um, train there, so you can retrieve uh, filtered sounds. And then the second component, which is still under development, because this first part took longer than expected, as always, um, uh, is to then build like this uh, virtual um, Asian companion, if you like, who learns also from uh, the live coder, what the live coder is doing, and then responds, uh, responds. Um, so yeah, that's kind of the idea of the project. Uh, so the machine learning components here are first for the filter, if you like, um, it is to, well, it's using basically a kind of um, a binary classifier where there is behind the hood, you've been training good versus bad sounds. And then that's what, how it works. Uh, when you retrieve sounds, you only get those that are predicted as good sounds. And then the second part is virtual companion um, the idea is that uh, will learn from, from what you write. Your code um, is learning from there. And then um, kind of um, with a regressor model, it will just uh, propose. Or predict um, kind of a, a line of code that will go align with what you usually um, life code. That's
0: mm. yeah, really interesting, and yeah, know that the whole aspect of um, so the free sounds. Um, uh, yeah, because Gerard presented some of that work he did at the very beginning of the code project. And I remember his presentation. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's a really interesting aspect, and we'll get back to that as well because I've got some questions about that. Um, mm-hmm. But first I'd like to to ask you, so obviously a big part of this project is live coding. um, And Mm -hmm. it's, something that's obviously a big part of your creative work. So um, I think it'd be really interesting to get an idea of what live coding is for you and how you kind of approach this concept in in performance.
1: Yeah, this is a big question. Well, what is live coding? And live coding is a big word I would say, or umbrella term even. And so, Life coding is a practice uh, which you can define as an artistic and cultural practice that has been for now 20 years, which is quite a long time. And you can find many different approaches to, to life coding. Um, just to say that um, we have now a call uh, about a special issue that will be published at the journal Organized Sound, and that's Life Coding Sonic Creativities. The deadline is September the 15th of September. And the idea here is, as you can see in the call, it's also exploring because it's so broad, um, exploring what I mean, what can we see as a future of live coding and these sonic creativities? What are what are the possibilities from live coding? But yeah, when preparing this call, we were with the co-editors, um, Gerard Roma, Thor Magnusson, and also Landi. So the idea is that, yeah, live coding is, is a, a, a big term that includes artistic and cultural aspects as well. So it's not only uh, coding in real time and creating music, there are many approaches to it. But in my case my approach is very much i really like the well i w- usually work with super collider with live coding um sometimes also with um uh, web environments but mostly super collider trying to develop my my kind of tools on top of it and i really like the algorithmic um, music element of it so super collider is already an environment that is um, design for algorithmic music and then life coding, exploring that kind of in real time. I'm very much interested in uh, defining systems, if you like, or a set of rules, but then knowing that every time is going to be different, there, it will be a new instance. Um, and so also having some uncertainty, I like to include, uh, which the algorithmic um, kind of approach already brings, but then when uh browsing sounds from free sound there is this little risk or risk if you like and i I like this uncertainty of not knowing uh or controlling the whole the entire process so getting sounds that might be a surprise still it's good to have you know now milka to try to smooth a little bit this uncertainty Hmm. but that's kind of the approach i i like or i like to take with live coding
0: Hmm. yeah yeah so yeah as you said it's it's very broad somewhat of an umbrella yeah. term um, mm. I, I mean i saw that um uh, for the melka project um, you stated that some of the core themes that you that you tried to explore were those of eligibility uh, agency and negotiability in performance um i was wondering if maybe you could unpack some of those ideas
1: sure so As you mentioned, the Milkauto project has been funded by the EPSRC HDI network, which stands for HDI is Human Data Interaction. And this has been a a bigger project uh, that was looking across different themes. One was art, music, and culture, which has been led by Professor Tautanaka. And my project was kind of inside this theme, but there are other themes. And altogether, the HDI network was looking into the use of data uh, in the context of intelligent systems and then how the, the user might lose control of this data and how uh, the user should regain this control even more with these intelligent systems So then kind of we, we were provided in a way with this HDI network with these three tenets and and so it was interesting to then see or reflect these tenets, within live coding and within like this Milka project. So the three tenets, as you mentioned, one is legibility. Um, and legibility was broadly defined uh, from the HDI network as kind of uh, yeah, processes of sharing data about a person and then how others use and understand this data. And then this was a, an easy mapping with, with live coding where we have like this, uh, kind of mantra if you like of obscurantism is dangerous show us your screens which are uh, you can find at the top or on the top lab manifesto so then the idea here is basically i mean there is already a will in life coding to show your code be transparent
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh and kind of the code uh represents the algorithmic f- uh, thoughts of the life coder if you like or that's kind of the um yeah the the purpose. Uh, so yeah, this legibility is, is, can be seen as a clear mapping with this transparency with the code when showing your screens. Um, the second tenet is agency, and that uh, relates with especially with um, kind of intelligent systems. So this idea of the capacity of the of the of the person who's using the system to kind of control or modify. Um, Kind of the, the processes, if you like, and so here the idea disconnects with the Milka project, uh, with the idea that uh, when we were doing the workshops with the tool, um, there is there are two kind of two um, spaces you can explore. One is the training of the model, so this binary classifier, and then that's um, that's um, kind of designed in a way that each life coder can do it in a life coding um approach so that would be well so that means that each life coder can train their own model based on on this uh, uh yeah binary approach of sounds you like you don't like um and then there is the performance mode where you just use the model you've just trained and you can train as many models as, as you like um, so and we call this the situated musical action so you can just train depending on on what you want In a particular context, uh, musical context. Uh, So yeah, this back to this agency, how we can map that. So this is mapped with the notion that uh, everyone, each life coder can just uh, take agency by uh, just training a model, um, getting familiar with the free sound database, and training these models uh, based on these situated musical actions. So that's the mapping here. And the third uh, tenet, which is negotiability. So this would be more um, defined from the um, HDI network, uh, that basically the people can negotiate in a way, or the people can ask those who create the systems to change things. Uh, So there's some negotiation. So this again maps to the Milka project uh, with the idea of the workshops that we run. We run three workshops um one in well and all this was happening during COVID. So it was in virtual London with Eclectic and then uh, in virtual Barcelona with Luisec, and then we were also in virtual Leicester with Leicester Hackspace. Space. Um, but then all these workshops with people from all over the world, um basically yeah there were about 20 people or so for for each workshop um, so we uh, basically from these conversations uh, could modify the kind of the, the project also offering the the code on github uh, people can also give comments uh, raise issues so that would be this negotiability aspect if you like and the mapping to the project
0: yeah it's really interesting because um, yeah I'm, I, I've it's only quite recently that I've kind of really been properly introduced into the life coding world, Um, especially looking at some of your work, looking at some of Gerard's work, and also looking at some of Shelley Knott's work as well. Um, And one thing that struck me as an audience member when I was watching Gerard's performance is that, so yeah, so he explained to me this idea of this trope in in live coding that you show what you're doing you share your screen and it's that's that's always something that's that's quite important and i think different live coders will approach that idea differently um yeah because he i i remember he had quite a simple interface and and the things that he was live coding he was you as an audience member who didn't really um know how his system was working under the hood i saw function names that were quite evocative like rumble and and bursts and things like that um, and and I, I i i witnessed sort of processes being put into motion and i could you know correlate um some things but also like the the real workings of the system was quite hidden to me and i could i was only kind of half understanding what i was seeing and i mean it was quite it was really quite an interesting experience and and so one thing that struck me was that um in that example um uh, uh, Gerard was curating um some of the things that were being shown to to us as the audience um his 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 obviously we, we, in any live coding system, you can't show all the workings, all the code that's underneath, you wrap things up in functions and in various ways of doing things. And I was just, yeah, I was wondering how you approach uh, this idea of what you curate and what you wish to share with um, with the people that are watching you.
1: Uh, thanks for the question. Um, I guess, well, with the uh, Milka is based on the milk, uh, Um, extension, also supercollateral extension, which I developed previously and kind of uh, drive me to then uh, develop Milka. So Milk, which is this music information retrieval in live coding, was already, the idea was to encapsulate, if you like, um, uh, kind of, you know, encapsulate the code in a way that then it's easier to understand, so simplify it. Uh, And why that? So then it's easier to understand what is happening just looking at the screen. So I guess um, for me, it's important for the the proper life coder, but also for the audience uh, to be able to understand what is happening, simplifying the language. But then probably this is not everybody's cup of tea. Some people prefer to see more complexity, but this is my intake. And that's um, inspired by Ixi Lang, for example, by Thur which was also has been a life coding environment very constrained um, and that was a, an easy way to get into the life coding understanding what's happening um, so yeah that would be my take, trying to my take trying to uh, simplify enough so that you can understand uh, the, just by reading uh basic commands what what are the things happening uh maybe like there are perhaps you mentioned he's using more the visualization aspect of things so that maybe that's more abstract in a way or symbolic but you can still see um or understand processes through visualization um but yeah i guess showing what's really happening under the hood maybe it's too much (laughs) but again yeah it's a good question how to like uh there's a trade off probably between showing complexity. So you show what's really happening. Uh, but then simplifying in a way that you understand the processes, um, whatever level you have uh, from like, uh, uh, code literacy.
0: Mm, yeah. Well, So you, so you mentioned there uh, some of the uh, visualization aspects um, that was present mm. in um, uh performance. Um, so yeah, uh, that Gives me a good chance to talk about um the paper that you co-wrote with uh with uh, mm. Gerard and Pierre Alexandre and, and Owen so uh so yeah a, gen- a general framework for visualization of sound collections and in musical interfaces um which outlines what I consider to be one of the kind of core workflows of the Flucoma toolkit so to sort of talk very broadly you have segmentation of a corpus uh, you have feature extraction um then dimensionality reduction which can help for visualization and so it's been implemented in various different ways fluid coma tools are designed so that it can be implemented in various different ways um so we've got gerard's uh, fluid corpus map library for super collider um which deliver these data driven musical interfaces so um, i'd love to hear um, about what aspects of that workflow uh, stimulate you particularly for your uh, creative uh, practice
1: yeah so well from this kind of workflow you mentioned um, i generally work uh, with the entire sample duration as opposed to just uh, segmenting however i can talk a little bit about the papers gerard slett and what what I see interesting from from that paper. But I usually work with this entire sample duration, usually in seconds, kind of uh, unit time. And so then that means I'm focusing on the space of the future extraction and the dimensionality reduction, um, which I really find magic. Yeah, like this um, possibility of reducing meaningfully the, the, you know, large or big, number of dimensions. So in the Milka, this is applied applied um, in the kind of the, when training for um, the, your musical preference, and this idea of using, a, in the classification problem, using these 26 descriptors from the MFCCs, this uh, male frequency capstral coefficients, um, mean and variance, and then reduce that to 20 dimensions with a principal component analysis, and then from there, Also, the magic, right? To kind of with the MLP, just to train the model and then get um, this kind of uh, yeah model that works with as a binary classifier. So that's kind of the space I usually work. But with uh, with um, kind of the Fluid Corpus library that Gerard has been developing, and then we co-authored this paper, and I was helping with uh, kind of the examples uh, that are provided in the paper. Um, So I found magic. So My approach has been more um, uh, supervised learning. But with Gerard's paper and the uh, fluid um, corpus map is more an unsupervised approach. And I find fascinating this idea that you can um, discover what are the features that that kind of um, excel or are more meaningful, and and so there is one example um, which is like this uh, four slider example with uh, kind of uh, drum music, and and that's fascinating that you get uh, four features that you really you know human the human wouldn't probably. Uh, get those features because we already are quite, maybe constrained or have, um, yeah, we're kind of, we we have some expectations, but then you get like these four features that are, um, that emerge from the data. And then and then the role of the kind of the performer, artist, um, user, if you like, is just to explore those features and trying to make sense. So that's kind of a different approach I found. And I, yeah, I find it fascinating and, and and you need to change the the mindset in a way
0: Mm, yeah you 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 mentioned there how the the ways in which you you use the sounds and the um so more tending towards kind of whole sample long um sample Mm. in the sense not a sample but a sample um (laughs) um, yeah (laughs) yeah, i'd I'd be interested to hear um yeah how you approach a collection of sounds as as an aesthetic Object in 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 your creative work and and how you go about curating and creating a corpus, how 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 you mm. build up. Um, so obviously the this is where the free sound um, mm. external collection is 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 going to come into play. Um, does that come into into interaction with uh, your own personal collections of sounds? How do you how do you approach that kind of idea of a collection of sounds as, as an aesthetic thing?
1: Yeah, so far I've been focusing more on these crowdsourced sounds, which is this wild space, as mentioned. And then, but I really like to like um, work with the entire sound sample duration, but then slice it. I mean, I slice it, but maybe more in the real time space as opposed to prepare the uh, slice mat- like slice slice the material previously with, uh, which is what uh, the sum up uh, project is doing, for example, and then. Um, yeah, so work that on in the real on the real time, but then we have some some research, and that was at the beginning of the Flucoma project, uh, before Milka during the milk kind of uh, development, and and that was a collaboration with Flucoma and Gerard about what if we just come like what if we use milk, which is uh, like, machi- uh, yeah, music inf- uh, sorry music information retrieval in life coding. Uh, retrieving sounds from free sound, what if we use this technology to retrieve sounds from, from kind of uh, personal collections? And so we have this study we presented at NIME um, in 2018. And basically we are comparing with four users, two were using the crowdsource approach, and two were using the uh, personal collections approach. Well, for the four of them, uh, our life coders and tried these two approaches, and the conclusion was that probably a mix, a combination of both, is the most interesting part because you you can get you can combine this um, control of the sounds, this curation of your own sounds, uh, with a little bit of more uncertainty, um, kind of surprise aspect when you retrieve uh, sounds from crowdsourced sounds. This project was just uh, yeah kind of um, an experiment. Uh, but yeah, I'm still interested in looking forward to bring that back and have this combination.
0: Yeah. Great. Um I know another aspect um, that you explore, um, you're telling me about before is uh, spectral modeling synthesis. So you're talking to me about a project where um, you combine some of the flucoma tools with sms tools that were developed at the music technology group um, and that you're in the process of making an album and you've performed some of this uh, material at beast um, birmingham's uh, sound theater um, so yeah i'd be really interested to learn a bit more about that project as well i was wondering if you could take us through it
1: Yeah, so yeah, this is a project that really starts um, even like in, yeah, 2017 when recording um, uh, kind of a um, person who was tuning a a piano back in Georgia Tech, Greg uh, Christafolos. He was tuning a Kawai piano. And so I asked, can I record this, this tuning? Yeah, oh yeah, yes, you can. And so yeah, I had this material I was very interested in the the detuning that tuning (laughs) and so that was their the idea to do that and and the opportunity to perform at uh beast uh this uh march uh 2022 um invited by Anne, um, Annie Martiani and, and uh, uh, Scott Wilson. So I thought this is a great opportunity to to explore that material in a multi-channel context with live coding, which is something I also explore. Um, I've been exploring uh, throughout my practice. And so then, yeah because it's coincidence or like, um, I'm also teaching DSP for for artists or creative, um, yeah, artists, creatives, musicians at the Montfort University. So yeah, I thought, oh, it might be interesting to explore um, this kind of decomposition tools, DSP tools. And yeah, the idea was to, well, work with the tools developed by uh, the MTG. So there is the um, SM, SMS kind of, um, Tool, which is this spectral modeling synthesis, but then uh, Flucoma happens to also have a very ni- nice package. Uh, you can explore the same SMS tools in in SuperCollider because SMS, the kind of the original from Chaviersera at UBF, um, you can run it uh, on Python now, um, and so. But it's not integrated on within the supercollider environment. And uh, Flucoma implements uh, these models um, in supercollider, And then you can also explore the harmonic percussive source separation, HPSS. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what I'm finding very interesting there is to yeah, get like this separation of like the same signal, you get separation of the kind of the harmonic percussive and, and kind of the, uh, yeah, this separation and source separation, and then playing with this um, this file separately, focusing maybe on only the harmonic part or the percussive part, or distributing these different parts uh, in, in in the different speakers or yeah, direct them to different speakers. That's I find it very interesting. Uh, just to explore it, like. Uh, from the, I guess, creative hat. So instead of using that as more the engineering hat, trying to deconstruct it. And I guess this is very much in alignment with flucoma, right? This idea mm-hmm. of deconstructing creatively. Yeah. So yeah, this is the tuning, attuning, then there are different parts. Some of them use more the flucoma, others maybe less, but it's um, just to explore how to detune, a tune um and and explore land um <laughs> as yeah. a as a space
0: <laughs> yeah yeah no, it's really interesting because i i had um so simon smith who's uh beast um uh engineer on the podcast um a few episodes ago and uh, we were talking about his approaches to diffusion and working with artists to diffuse their work over their quite you know bespoke setup that beast has um, and yeah you touched on it there I was, I was wondering if if you could discuss a bit more um your your approaches to diffusion into a space and and how you approach adapting something into a multi-channel space mm. in your work
1: yeah well i mean again this is uh i really like the algorithmic uh composition approach Brought by supercollider and supercollider in particular is um, um, is very like uh, multi-channel friendly, <laughs> and so you can easily explore um, the the kind of the multi-channel or the like yeah the multi-channel from an array if you like numerical array perspective, and that can be so interesting just you know exploring like distributing randomly or or with a sequence or patterns. And that's the the space I I really like to explore. Um, And yeah, that means uh, playing with four speakers works well, but I've been even at Virginia Tech, I was at this workshop uh, where we had more than 100 speakers. So then that was like, oh my God, I mean, this here, all of a sudden you have this high resolution and it changes so much, but still you can still uh um, explore it with the same techniques of the algorithmic approach to to kind of uh talk with the speakers
0: mm, yeah
1: and yeah usually it's textural i work with textures with, when working with uh, multi-channel um and noises
0: <laughs> yeah yeah no it is interesting because so obviously at Huddersfield, i've um you know i participated in setting up the, the hiss um, mm. Several times, and and you know from from what I understand, um, when PA was was kind of setting that whole thing up, it was kind of to it was kind of to answer the question of how do you diffuse stereo music in a space where you know. Um, the whole idea of the having the perfect spot in one place yeah. and everyone else is kind of and yeah and so there was the whole kind of approach around that was um was around kind of stereo music and sort of diffusing tape music but you yeah, know it seemed it's interesting to hear that um yeah, you're really incorporating that idea of a sort of an array of different speakers into the actual practice mm. and, the, and the creation itself yeah, it's really interesting um so uh one aspect that we've talked about. Um, to a certain uh, extent, um, is that much of your research output um, and many of the tools and interfaces that you use or develop um, are directed towards online platforms. So we've talked about Freesound. You've also used things like Term.js, libraries uh, for visualising audio descriptors, JavaScript. So I'm I'm interested to to hear more about this and and what you consider to be some of the affordances of of online platforms.
1: Well, yes, um, I've been interesting, yeah, always with internet and uh, the online platforms and what's possible. Uh, Even more when mobile smartphones came in, uh, that's bringing the kind of the access from, like this ideal access from anywhere. Um, and then this connects with the democratization of music, which I've been also uh, very much interested as well, like electronic music with computers, that was already one wave of, of this democratization. But then with mobile phones um, and all the sensors that they uh, kind of uh, have embedded, this brings also a powerful tool in your pocket. So I, I really like that. and so. Um, The approach that I've been exploring uh, together with Gerard Roma and uh, Jason Freeman, uh, we've been exploring what we call the audience-centric approach, or the the approach that the audience becomes performers. Uh, So that's interesting. Um, And then, yeah, I guess also another aspect that I'm interested in with kind of the online platforms is this peer-to-peer approach uh, this network approach uh, where you know there are no hierarchies or your hierarchies are horizontal Um, so i really like to explore explore that through the online platforms Uh, beyond that so this idea that uh, you can connect through apis with different technologies so for instance the you know through like uh, we were talking about freesound, the freesound API. Thanks to that, you can then connect uh, um, th- uh, to the freesound database and then retrieve sounds according to uh, order descriptors. This is very powerful. It brings also this DIY in the software software context that is very powerful and empowers like the developers. Um, yeah, having said that, it's also a very fast moving, uh, fast forward moving wall uh so technologies change all the time you need to be very much updated and you know something work uh previous year then stops working and that's also maybe kind of the you know the um kind of the negative side of it but still um you can prototype quite fast ideas and and then everybody uh, in principle everybody who has a phone or uh, a computer can get access or a browser can get access so that's that's these are the parts that I really like.
0: Mm. Yeah, no, I'm really interested in, in that idea of the audience-centric approach. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you, you were talking to me about um, another project that you were working on um, that also uh, made some use of the Flucoma tools, um, which was called, uh, excuse my uh, pronunciation, I'm hoping I'm getting it right, but "ear to wipe up tamataro." Uh, which um, is a performance where the audience can interact with the piece uh, live um, visually and sonically on their mobile devices and yeah i'd be fascinated to hear exactly what's happening in that piece how what what you're allowing the audience to to have agency over and, and how that works.
1: Yeah, so this is a collaboration with Vista Gudarsi and she's based in Chicago and based in in Sheffield. And then we started doing this uh, collaboration of uh, remote live coding sessions uh, last year with performances. And then we were finding that uh, we were missing to know more about the audience. Um, So beyond the chat and another kind of missing part was the that when we so when we were documenting the performance we wouldn't have any kind of accounting of who was the audience when so previous experiences with uh, mobile phone kind of pieces or audience audience centric pieces uh, there is this hyper connected um, action painting um, that it's a piece that yeah I collaborated with Gerard, and the idea there was that the kind of the, the audience can draw a painting on the screen, and then you get that painting um, as a memory of who was the audience. So back to our collaboration with Bizna, that was really missing, or even the chat was missing. So that was that kind of uh, drive us to kind of um, start thinking what what could we do to have like more like presence creative presence of the audience while we are performing to know whether there are many people or a few people um, and and where are they located so then there is this uh yeah we started this personic which is a mobile web app. uh well it's a prototype very basic prototype but let's call it a mobile web app. and we've presented this work at the new interfaces for musical expression conference this year and and so yeah the idea is that um, the audience members can connect to this URL, and depending on their location, they get a, a, a bubble, a colorful, randomized, colorful bubble that is located, um, mapped to wherever they are uh, in the world. And then um, we include that as a background. So far, we've been doing, including that as a background of, of our performance. So, And then these bubbles create drone music. And so we've been integrating this drone music with our music so in a way there is some interaction we've been running three pilot studies this month kind of to refine the design and refine how to integrate better but there is still uh, much work to do but yeah we at least got to a point that we can get the, the audience integrated with their this um, mass of drones that align with what we do. And then, um, yeah, that's kind of the, the intention. And so this piece you were, you were saying, um, so it's the, yeah, Ear to Waipapa Taumata Rao. So this has been a performance we've uh, presented also at the Nine conference. And we basically, well, uh, first invited um, the audience from uh, Auckland, which is where, uh, this conference is, is hosted this year to upload sounds of, of uh, Auckland to a uh, free sound. And so we've been using CrowdStore sounds, uh, but basically curated in a way, or, you know, we, we had this call and mm-hmm. we've been exploring that using. So um, Vista has been using her super collider environment with her. Uh, built functions. I've been using Milka. um, And then we had, in addition, this Personic uh, web app in the background. Uh, But yeah, we presented um, this piece, or when we recorded it, it was in a previous kind of version of the Personic. um, And we've been developing it afterwards with these pilot studies. And yeah, just to also mention that the piece is inspired with John Cates John Cage, A Deep in the Lake. So it's this kind of inspiration of, um, so yeah, Deep in the Lake uh, were sounds in Chicago and there are some instructions on how to record those, but we're taking it or interpreting interpreting this piece very openly. But this idea of uh, working with site-specific sounds uh, yeah. is interesting to us.
0: Yeah. That's no, really fascinating. That project you're talking about, you have that kind of tangible, visual trace of that group of people that were in that mm. space at one point and yeah no that's really interesting and
1: well we call it digital musical persona mm,
0: mm. yeah no, that's great and it's uh yeah no it's it's so exciting for the future as well and, and i think yeah perhaps even kind of informing again the, those questions of live coding where talking about showing workings of the piece to the audience and making that available mm. to them. And, and now people in the audience interacting with that and be- becoming part of it. And, yeah, you that's know, it's really, really, I think, very exciting um, part of this music tech world that I'm, I'm really looking forward to see how that develops in the future. That's great. Um, so I thought maybe as a final question, um, kind of, uh, um staying along those lines um, so you've written a few uh blog posts um, about teaching uh, researching and creating uh in the context of the pandemic and having to deal with various online platforms um, so i'm really interested to hear more about how you feel that um, the world of music technology has changed since the pandemic and the kind of strategies that you've met, you may have devised or be thinking about for dealing with some of those changes.
1: Um, yes, this is a, a question that we are working actually with uh, Vista gudarsi at present through this project and looking forward as well about what now hybrid means and maybe seeing the hybrid world as the, maybe the, the new normal. Um, so we've been in the pandemic, just uh, exploring like other ways of working, other ways of of uh, connecting with people, and now back to real world. Maybe it's good to uh, support this hybrid world. Uh, but yeah, something we've been discussing with Bizas that probably now the still we have. Uh, We are in early days so we could explore more new metaphors that support like in in terms of interfaces that support this hybrid world where we have people on site and people connected remotely and yeah this is something that um uh when i was in norway before the pandemic uh we had I was uh, working with this um, well at the Norwegian University of Science and Technology in collaboration with the University of Oslo. Uh, and so we were kind of in a, we had like two smart classrooms connected between each other. So we already had this notion of half of the students are on the like somewhere else. And we connect and blend together in the same kind of smart classroom um so that was interesting but then now after pandemic it's kind of revisiting this concept i guess and and supporting that from anywhere uh where you are supporting that experience and thinking musically um how can we then support this uh hybrid world in the musical context so that's something um yeah that interests me at at the moment um, so far, I've been working with collaborative support uh, in live coding, either remote or collocated, or tabletop interaction, collocated, mobile phones, either remote or collocated. But now, maybe exploring this merge, this hybridity, how to connect both. That's something yeah, I find it interesting and and with potential, and something that we might probably want more after the COVID experience.
0: Mm, yeah. Oh, it's certainly going to be a a very interesting time. Um, Yeah, so I'm looking forward to seeing how that's going to develop over the next couple of years. Um, Well, thank you so much, Anna. Uh, That was really, really interesting. Um, So obviously, all the things that we've talked about are going to be linked below on the uh, Flucoma Explore. Uh, Learn website uh, where this will be living and on YouTube, Um, perhaps uh, just to shout out again so you've got a call um, for your edition of Organised Sound um, Mm -hmm. editing with uh, Gerard and Thor Magnuson, Um, just to to reiterate that to anyone who may be listening who may be uh, interested in submitting something for that um anna thank you so much it was really really interesting
1: thank you so much jaco for this yeah great conversation great questions and the opportunity to have this this chat with you
0: you're quite welcome thanks a lot i'll see you again soon
1: see you cheers